Today on The Girl Defined Show, we are unpacking the hot button topic of abortion. And at Girl Defined, we are unashamedly, passionately pro-life. We believe that life begins in the womb. It begins at conception. And we will always stand by that. But I want you to know right now, whether you are passionately pro-life or you are passionately pro-choice or you are somewhere in between or you're not really sure. You're like, I've never really looked into this. I know it's in the news everywhere right now. You know, the overturning of Roe v. Wade. I'm just not even sure really what to think about it. I hope you'll stick around because the topic of abortion is something that impacts us as women so much. It's something that we need to be informed on, something that we need to grow in our understanding of what's happening. And even recently, with the overturning of Roe v. Wade, we unpacked that in this conversation, and we found an amazing fabulous guest, Kristen Hawkins. She is the president of Students for Life, and she so graciously, last minute, agreed to come on and have this conversation with us today um, all about what happened. So if you're like, yeah, I know it's a big deal, Roe v. Wade, like the overturning, I don't really know like all the ramifications. I'm not really sure. I've been hearing a lot of, um, you know, different opinions in the media, which there are some loud opinions on both sides of the aisle. Um, and we're going to talk about that. We're going to really dig into it. Kristen is a wealth of information and knowledge. Um, she is passionately pro-life, obviously the president of Students for Life, but what she brings to the table, um, the arguments, the wisdom, the passion, the compassion, for women and babies. It's just, it is so inspiring. And I learned so much just talking to her. So I know you're going to love this conversation too. Um, but we really dig into some specific things, you know, after she unpacks like why their overturning is so significant, how that's going to impact all the states, all of us. We really get into some specific topics and questions. You know, I've been hearing a lot of people say that um, celebrities, pro-abortion advocates coming out saying that this new overturning is a setback for women. We're going back to the stone ages, you know, so we really dig into things like that. You know, the my body, my choice, you know, that popular saying, um, she kind of debunks that a little bit and digs into why the pro-life movement is truly for women, helping women, aiding women, equipping women, loving women, showing compassion to women more so than the pro-abortion movement, the pro-choice movement. So she really unpacks some facts, some things that are really true that I didn't even know about. Um, we're hearing right now in the media that poor women, women are suffering because of these, you know, new restrictions that miscarriage management or ectopic pregnancies are going to be impacted. We dig into that and then and she really unpacks some of the top lies and and honestly just propaganda that is being pushed out right now by the pro-choice movement and so we get into all of that. And then at the end, she just really offers some helping, helpful talking points for us um, who love the Lord, who are passionately pro-life, who believe that life begins at conception. How can we talk about this? How can we have a gracious, loving conversation, um, a winsome conversation, a compelling conversation, an informed conversation with our friends, family, neighbors who are pro-choice? How can we approach this? She really offers some helpful talking points on how we can get to the heart and the minds of women and not just changing their political position, but really getting to the heart of the matter. And I really appreciate that. So I know you're going to walk away inspired, informed, educated. Um, you're going to walk away feeling like, okay, you have a grasp on what's going on right now and you can move forward. Um, so I am so glad you're sticking with us. Please listen to the very, very end. She also offers some helpful resources. So if you're like, yeah, I want to dig in, I want to grow in this, um, then stick around for that. I also want to say really quick before we dive into that conversation, um, two things. If you have not read Girl Defined, our book, or Sex, Purity, and the Longings of a Girl's Heart, I cannot encourage you enough to read those two books. I know you might be thinking, okay, wait, we're talking about abortion. How does that those books have anything to do with it? Well, it has everything to do with it because our understanding as women... Um, 
of womanhood, of our identity, our femininity, um, our design, according to our creator, the, uh, our view on abortion will be so impacted um, by our view of womanhood and God's greater design. So reading Girl Defined will equip you, will help you not only to understand God's incredible, amazing design for womanhood and the beautiful, distinctive roles that he has for us as women— but also it will help you as you communicate to other women about why you believe what you believe. So Girl Defined and then also Sex, Purity, and the Longings of a Girl's Heart. That book is incredible, y'all. We dig into God's design for sexuality, for gender, for identity, um, why God created sex in the first place, how, what his intentions were for how it should best be used. Why are we all sexual beings? Um, you know, how do we live that out in singleness, in marriage? We unpack all of that. And, you know, obviously you can't have babies without sex. And so we get into that. And, understanding a biblical uh, worldview regarding your sexuality, God's design for that will also help you, um, give you confidence in understanding how all of these things work together and how our view of abortion is also impacted by our view of sexuality. So I cannot encourage you enough to grab a copy of Girl Defined and Sex Purity and the Longings of a Girl's Heart. If you don't have them, if you haven't read them, grab them at girldefined.com slash shop. You can also get the audiobooks at Christian Audio. You can also get um, digital copy, you know, like ebooks, you know, on Amazon. So please do that. Um, I can't encourage you enough to grab those. So without further ado, here is my awesome conversation with Kristen Hawkins. Kristen Hawkins, welcome to the Girl Defined Show. Hi, thanks for having me today. Glad to be with you. Thank you for joining us so last minute. I know we contacted you, I think, today. <laughs> so <laughs> thank you for coming on as a guest. I know you're the president of Students for Life, and I love your mission to recruit, train, and mobilize the pro-life generation to abolish abortion. And we here at Girl Define, you know, we call our community the sisterhood. We are unashamedly pro-life. But I think the conversation that's happening in culture today can feel very overwhelming to a lot of our community. And so I just want to have an open conversation about um, just all mm-hmm. things, you know, Roe v. Wade, what's happened. But I want to start with your personal journey because you are such an amazing pro-life advocate. Um, have you always been this way? Was there a turning point for mm-hmm. you? Like what is just as nutshell, what does your journey look like? You know, I was raised with a pretty conservative evangelical home. And, you know, I, I think my mother, you know, she was always very pro-life, but I never, I don't know, like a lot of evangelical, I guess, we never really talked about those difficult things. I'm like still waiting for the birds and the bees talk for my parents. That's probably why I have four kids. But um, <laughs> so we never really talked about that stuff. And so I was, when I was 15, I was looking for a volunteer opportunity in my community. A woman at my church was serving as a part-time accountant at a pregnancy resource center. And she was like, hey, why don't you come along to AIM? I'd love to introduce you. I know they're always looking for, for good interns. And and um, that's really where my heart um, was moved on this issue. I think if you would have asked me before that point if I was pro-life or pro-choice, I probably would have been one of the mushies in the country that said, well, I don't like abortion, but, mm. um, you know, or what about this case or this case? And so that is, though, going into that pregnancy center, um, really being, I guess, poured into and invested into by the director of the center who said, you know, we want you to do more than just, you know, of course, I did the, you know, the grunt work of, you know, organizing the diapers and the formula and making sure we had a good inventory system for the free material support we were giving out. But they really poured into me to be a counselor. 
And so I got to sit in at 15 years old. I was sitting in to counseling sessions with women who were coming in who had already had an abortion, who were considering abortion. Um, and just to hear their stories and what had led them into the doors of that pregnancy center. Uh, it was very clear between that and then learning really what happens in an abortion procedure, the violence that unfolds, um, there was really no going back for me, you know, of ever being able to be in that mushy middle category ever again. Um, this was clearly a human rights uh, violation. And I just remember thinking, why doesn't anyone talk about this? You know, this is, you know, why isn't this on the news? Like, why isn't this coming up in my classes? Mm, wow. It sounds like you gained passion and compassion through that experience, like yeah. seeing the women. That's, that's exactly right. That's a great way. To, that's a great way to say, I'm writing that down right now. I'm, use that I'm here way. for you. I'm here for you. Okay. So we're obviously hearing so much in the news right now about the overturning of Roe v. Wade, which is a huge, huge deal. Um, but I know some people are contacting us, you know, saying like, mm-hmm. why is this such a big deal? You know, why is this so significant? So just for all of our sakes, and I'm, I'm sure I have a lot to learn in this too. Can you just walk us through what happened and mm-hmm. why this is so significant? Yeah, I mean, so in 1973, the Supreme Court did something no one was asking it to do. I think we have to start out there. Um, there had been abortionists and, you know, leading up to 73, some states had moved to make abortion legal in certain limited circumstances. There was a case that went to the court that asked for abortion to be legal in the first trimester. Um, the seven men in the court actually went further than that. They released two decisions on the same day. The first was Roe v. Wade and the second was Doe v. Bolton. This is one you never heard talked about ever. But the two decisions combined stated that all state prohibitions on abortion had to be struck down and that abortion was now legal in all nine months of pregnancy for whatever reason. And this is something that even even a couple months ago, people would argue with me about. I'm like, first of all, I do this for a living. You don't think I know what happens and who's committing late-term abortions? Like, I literally can tell you some of the streets some of these abortionists are on. Um, mm. But it was. I think it's very hard for a lot of folks in the country, especially who find themselves in the middle of this issue, to even think about late-term abortions happening. We know they happen. The CDC, last number we have from the CDC, which, by the way, we don't have a national abortion reporting requirement. So anytime mm-hmm. someone says, oh, childbirth is so much safer than abortion, they don't know that because we don't actually have any requirements on abortionists reporting in uh, their failure rate you know, their failure to end the life of a child or the complication rate for the women. Um, and so it's, it's been, you know, I think a lot of folks, they just, it's hard for them to understand that. So Roe said Roe and Doe together legalized abortion, stripped all the state laws. Now, in 1992, KCB Planned Parenthood was decided. This was a challenge to the challenge to Roe. It was a failure in the sense that the Supreme Court reaffirmed their holdings in Roe. Actually, it's a pretty misogynistic um, decision if you read it. It's it's like it's so anti-feminist because it literally said that women needed abortion. Women needed access to a special surgery in order to be equal to men in the workplace. It was complete opposite of what, you know, we were raised to believe that, you know, women, I am woman, hear hear me roar. Um, But with Casey, Mm -hmm. even though they reaffirmed Roe, 
they did say that states could limit certain types of abortions at viability. And so that's what we've been operating under since 1992, where some states could limit second and third trimester abortions. We in the pro-life movement have been passing laws, chipping away at that, trying to get the Supreme Court to reconsider uh, the case. And because elections have consequences, because we knew we had a solid majority in the court of pro-life justices now, uh, when Mississippi's law uh, was was passed um, and signed into law and then the, immediately the abortion industry, you know, sued, this was a law that bans abortions at 15 weeks when children can feel pain. As soon as they got a hearing at the court, uh, December 1st, the state of Mississippi went further. They didn't argue just that the court should uphold their 15-week law, which violated Casey because Casey said that viability states could uh, restrict abortion. They said that doesn't make sense. It's not logical for the Supreme Court to come back and with another like arbitrary threshold here. The Supreme Court needs to just go back needs to reverse its egregious Roe v. Wade decision and allow states to decide um, what protections they're going to place for the most vulnerable citizens. And that is, in fact, what we got. So the Dobbs decision did, it overturned, it reversed Roe and the Casey decisions, allowing states to make these decisions for themselves. Sorry, I'm a dork. I probably went to too many details. (laughs) No, I love that I'm sitting here like, yes, I love this nutshell history. So for pro-lifers, why is this so significant for us today? Mm. Yeah, this is significant because now we have a real chance. I mean, I was thinking about this this weekend. This weekend is going to be 4th of July, and this is going to be the first 4th of July in 49 years, 49 and a half years, where children are going to be free to be born in our country. In some states, Um, you know, it was hard. Like I was at the court the day the decision came down. Students for Life had been there every decision day. The Supreme Court like announces when they're going to release decisions, but they won't tell you what decision it is. So we had been out there in rain and snow, uh, lots of sun and heat since the end of March waiting for this decision to come down. I was there on Friday. I had this uh, tremendous honor of being the first person to read that decision. All the cameras were on me, the students were behind me, even the pro-abortion protesters quieted to hear me read the decision as it came out. And, you know, it's a significant moment, but I didn't really get, like, you know, all the students around me and our staff, uh, other pro-life leaders who were there started instantly crying. I didn't start instantly crying. I was so focused on, like, all their security guards, keeping our students safe and keeping the narrative on the main thing. But I... Saturday morning, I woke up, and that's the main abortion day in our country. It's Saturdays. And what the, the first thought that came to my head was hundreds of babies are going to live today. Because immediately after, after Dobbs came out, states, uh, attorney general, attorneys general in certain states started issuing cease and desist orders, telling Texas, Alabama, Louisiana abortion facilities, stop abortions out. So there were babies that were scheduled to die on Friday that are now alive. And um, that to me was, uh, I think, the most moving part about all this. It's not just like a, you know, I'm a political person. I, I, I like to be involved in political campaigns. That's how I got when I, after I found out about the horror of abortions, when I started investing my time, but like, this isn't just like a notch on a belt. This isn't like a, Oh, check one for the wind column for us. Um, this is, this is significant. It's serious because 
with this decision, I know we have the potential to save millions of human lives. Yes. Yes. When you said free to live, that just gave me Mm. chills. (laughs) Like Mm. that line, that is so powerful and, and so sobering when you really, mm-hmm. really think about it. But that's not the message we're hearing in culture right now. And obviously pro-choice, pro-abortion advocates are loud right now. And you hear celebrities oh, yeah. coming out saying just this is a huge oppressive setback for women. We're going back to the Stone Ages. You know, what's that all about? Yeah, I mean, sadly, I mean, I met a lot of these women on college campuses this spring. Um, a lot of women in our society have been duped by the lies of the predatory abortion facilities uh, and, and, the, and the abortion movement. They literally believe, I mean, they, I mean, I've met these women. I've had conversations with this, these women. They literally believe that their existence as a woman, their ability to set out and achieve career or educational goals is wrapped up with their ability to pay someone else to end the life of their child who may simply just be an inconvenience to them. And it's so, it's very sad uh, because they've kind of, you know, I would say fallen hook, line, and sinker for these lies. I mean, this is an industry, you have to think about it. Planned Parenthood makes money off of abortions. Like, this is an industry that profits, profits off of the despair of women. Um, and then yet yeah, they're the ones telling women, uh, oh yeah, we got your back. We're on your side. We're, we're here to help you. I'm like, um, yeah, you're here to help her have an abortion that you literally make money from. I mean, this is a $2 billion industry. Right. When I was pregnant with my oldest son. I went undercover to several Planned Parenthoods in, uh, San New Jersey, federally funded Planned Parenthoods, mind you. And I had asked them, you know, if I don't go through with this abortion, you know, what resources do you have? Like, do you know what type of prenatal vitamins I need to take? Do, you know, do, can you refer to me in any to like any OBs in the, in the county who will help me? And they were like, no, we don't have anything. I mean, this is stuff wow. they could have Googled. The, the counselor at the Planned Parenthood could have Googled this and said, oh, yeah, folic acid, you know, or here, go to this website. They didn't have any resources. If you're pregnant and you go to a Planned Parenthood, they offer you one thing, and that is abortion. Um, and so I think that's what we have to keep in mind here. This is an industry that preys off of, off of destruction, mm-hmm. preys off of women's fears. And so that's what you're hearing. You're hearing a lot of, sadly, uneducated people, people who have, you know, I'm not saying that they're un- like, they'd be very smart, but uneducated on this issue because they've never looked into it for themselves. They've never yeah. Googled what, when does human life begin or the development of our child or looked up all the resources we offer at standingwithyou.org or um, optionline.org or supportafterabortion.org. They've never, they've never even known to look. This is a major problem for us. We've been knocking on doors in communities for the past year and a half in 20 neighborhoods and neighborhoods surrounding abortion facilities in major cities. 73% of the neighbors we speak with don't know pregnancy resource centers and maternity homes even exist, even though mm. there's more than 3,000 pregnancy centers, more than 400 maternity homes that vastly outnumber the fewer than 600 abortion facilities that were in existence uh, before Friday. No one knows that, that these exist yet because, but yet for 50 years, our movement's been starting, supporting, sustaining these pregnancy centers. So my mm. charge really has been to the pro-life community as we, you know, enter into this post-Roe world, the first goal we need to have is to ensure no woman stands alone. And we need to show her that the pro-life movement has always been standing beside her and will continue to do so. Like, we need to, like, I'm taking out billboards on this. I'm spending 
six figures in digital ads. Like we need to literally shout this from the freaking rooftops that we will always stand with her. And we have been standing with her. And it's so crazy because we're told. Sorry, I'm a little passionate. Yeah, no, please bring the passion. We need this kind of passion because we're told that to be pro-woman, you have to be pro-choice, right? Like that is the narrative. But what you're Mm -hmm. saying is the opposite. That's right. It's absolutely, it is the opposite of, of empowerment to say that a woman must destroy her child in order to succeed in her career. I mean, it's, it is really such a aggressive view. Like I was watching the pro-abortion protesters on Friday. I, I was watching them for like security risk because they're the violence and the vandalism and you know, all the threats have been escalated as you can imagine. I mean, mm-hmm, it's not surprising. Mm-hmm. I mean, people who, who are pro violence against babies, um, you know, you know, behind the closed doors of, of a Planned Parenthood, it's not surprising they're, they're committing in the streets. But so I was watching them really hard um, and trying to protect our students, being a mama bear. And it was so interesting because the messaging, the rhetoric that they were using was regressive. We were actually, we, the pro-life movement, are the progressive movement. It is 2022. There is no reason why a woman, you know, even if it's an unplanned pregnancy, cannot be pregnant or be a parenting mother and can't, you know, complete her education or can't succeed in her job. There is no reason. There, like, but yeah, I mean, and really, and you can even go back to the first wave and even the second wave of feminism and the things that even the second wave of feminists were arguing for before they like divulged into this whole thing about birth control and abortion. But, you know, you mm-hmm. know, the right for me to open up a checking account without my husband being a signer for, you know, th- those were things yeah. that had to be done and had to be fought for. And we should use it. We should be viewing that as a triumph that we are now in this stage. Um, and, and yet, and not that saying single motherhood is easy and not saying that fathers don't have a role because, you know, if fathers would don't, men right. would only step up, we wouldn't be in this problem. Um, but I would say it's such a regressive view that they hold. This is not 1952. It is 2022. Yeah. What about the my body, my choice argument? That's also so popular. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's really where, you know, it always comes down to when you're debating abortion. I was debating abortion on CNN with some, you know, folks this weekend. And it always comes down to what is it? Because pro-lifers believe women, just like, you know, 99% of Americans, there's always 1% that's a contrarian. So I always say 99. But, you know, 99% of people believe women have the right to their own body. Like we, you know, we believe women have the right to choose the health care, where they live, their, their, their religion, their spouse, all of these things. But the question is, when a unique whole living human life is at stake, do you have the uh, 100% autonomy to do whatever you want with your body, even if you know that doing what you want with your body can harm another human being? Because we say in our society that you actually don't. There are laws. Women can be held criminally liable if they ingest, you know, hard drugs, cocaine, opioids Mm -hmm. while they're pregnant and their children are born addicted to crack cocaine. You know, I've seen a lot of liberal and progressive folks say that, you know, people who smoke cigarettes, who smoke cigarettes in cars with their windows rolled up and their children, you know, having to breathe in harmful secondhand smoke, those people should be held liable. We say there's a lot of things you can't, like my children, two of my children cystic fibrosis. You cannot go into the pulmonary ward of the hospital and say, well, it's my body. If I want to pollute my lungs with tobacco, I can and start smoking. 
you would literally be arrested mm-hmm. for that. Why? Because you're putting my children at risk. And nobody in our society would argue that that's, I mean, I mean like I said, there's always 1%. But most people in our society would never say, yeah, that's wrong. Right. But somehow when it comes to abortion, we say, well, it's her body, her choice. No, that you can choose to do a lot of things. And we as pro-lifers, and like I was saying earlier, need to be held accountable for doing a lot more to support pregnant and parenting women and young families in crisis um, and, and to be there to support her. Um, but I don't think you have an unfettered right to do whatever you want with your body when that means another body will is destined and doomed to suffer and die because that is what happens in an abortion. Yeah. I would love to get your perspective. I'm hearing a lot right now in the overturning, you know, in the aftermath of the overturning of Roe v. Mm. Wade, the argument that poor women will suffer the most right now and that, Mm. you know, miscarriage management, management, ectopic pregnancies, that those are going to be impacted by these new laws. You know, what's your perspective on that? Yeah, I mean, that goes back to the the tried and true argument that poor people should just have abortions and shouldn't be allowed to procreate. That's called eugenics, and that is why Planned Parenthood was founded, because Planned Parenthood's founder, Margaret Sanger, was a eugenicist. The second president of Planned Parenthood, Alan Guttmacher, which is the Alan Guttmacher Association, which is the uh, data collection bureau for the Planned Parenthood, for the abortion industry, which is still named after him today, was the second president of Planned Parenthood and the president of the American Eugenic Society. Their belief was that certain stocks, they called stocks, or breeds of human beings should not be allowed to reproduce using positive and negative eugenics to do that. So positive eugenics being a PR campaign, convincing people why not to have more kids. Negative eugenics being we're going to have a state eugenics board like they we had in every state across the country that when you come in for um, to have your tonsils taken out, we'll tie your tubes, which actually happened. Uh, the state of Oregon was actually the last state to disband their eugenics board in 1980. Just a couple of years wow. ago, the state of Virginia paid reparations to dozens of black women who had been sterilized with their parents not knowing and them not knowing when they were children going into the hospital in the 50s in Virginia. So this is what happened in our country. Um, I know that there was an economic report put out by Senator Lee just a couple of weeks ago showing that the economic devastation of abortion because of you know a third of our GDP is lost in the amount of people that we have aborted because you have to think about it your people yeah. you know when you're running a business you're running a country your people are your greatest resource they're your greatest asset people create gross domestic product because they invent things they work places they have they have consumer demand um, when you eliminate people you eliminate all of that so I that is completely completely, you know, I completely reject that. I, I reject yeah. the notion that because you may be born poor or, you know, I heard this one, because you may suffer, you may have a disease like cystic fibrosis, uh, therefore you should be snuffed out of the womb. Uh, we eliminate suffering, not the sufferer. When it comes to life-threatening emergencies, there is no piece of pro-life legislation that's being introduced by the pro-life movement that says if a woman is going to die, if she continues to gestate another human being, she should be forced to die. Nobody does that. There's no law like that. Mm-hmm. Because if life-threatening care is not, you know, life-saving care is not an abortion. So 
And the thing is, you have to think about how late term. So when, when you're talking about, and I've met with a lot of OBs over the years, taking them to medical schools. So we talk about these, and, and it's sad, but the pro-life OBs actually always get the most high-risk cases because a lot of women, if they're high-risk, their doctors will tell them just have an abortion. I'm not going to see you mm-hmm. have an abortion. And so women who say, I don't want to do that, they actually have to find a pro-life doctor who says, okay, I'm going to treat both my patients, you and your child, and my goal is yes. to see you both live. The, 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 what you have to think about is life-threatening. When life-threatening situations happen, they happen later in pregnancy. Unless you're talking about ectopic pregnancy, we'll talk about the second. But most of the life-threatening yeah. situations are later in pregnancy. How do they commit late-term abortions? They insert a needle into the woman's abdomen, insert digoxin, cause a cardiac arrest, a heart attack, let the baby, in the words of a late-term abortionist, not me, marinate for a couple of days and then they birth the child dead there is no life-threatening complications she could have that could merit doing that because that procedure itself has additional risks for her and it doesn't actually get her out of the life-threatening complication because you're you're keeping her pregnant for three extra days what happens in those cases is the doctor deliver it's called an early delivery you do is you schedule C-section and say, okay, you can no longer gestate another human being. We have to remove the child from your uterus. A, a, a C-section is, is scheduled and performed. And then you have the NICU there and you have you know everybody there, neonatologists. If the child is old enough and the child's lungs are developed, you know then you try to offer the child care. Even if there's only a couple percentage points chance that the child would survive, you try. You don't just kill, you try. That's a fundamental difference there, right? The intentionality behind yes. that act. Now, we're talking about ectopic pregnancy. These are life-threatening conditions that have happened in the first trimester. Now, what's interesting about this, and it's so, oh, it just drives me insane, is now we're facing, you know, a lot of these uh, surgical abortion facilities will be shutting down. What they're going to try to do, and what they've already said, is they're going to try to get chemical abortion pills shipped over the counter, either over the counter or shipped to women. So if you live in a red state that's been abortion, don't doesn't matter, we'll just ship you pills. And so we're dealing with that right now legal, legally. But what's interesting about these pills is that, mm. you know, these pills do not test. So before COVID, if you were going to go in and have a, an abortion pill uh, procedure done as opposed to surgical procedure, either, either you had to have an ultrasound performed because the, the abortionists have to confirm that the child is not lodged in the, in the mother's fallopian tubes. If the child is implanted in the fallopian tubes, because most conceptions occur in the fallopian tubes, and then the new embryo travels down to the uterine wall and implants, and then that's where the embryo self-directs the creation of his or her own organ, the placenta, to sustain life. With these ectopic pregnancies, the child is implanted in the fallopian tube. And so it's considered standard care, even if you're going to kill the child, to ensure that the child's actually not in the fallopian tube because if that fallopian tube bursts, she can internally bleed out and die. So before COVID, mm-hmm. even if you're going to take these abortion pills, you had to have that ultrasound. Using the COVID pandemic as an excuse, the abortion lobby lobbied the FDA and said, you know what? We don't think it's too dangerous for a woman to have to go into an abortion clinic right now because of COVID. It's too much risk. She should be able to get these drugs over the counter without a doctor ever seeing her or even confirming she's not experiencing mm-hmm. a life-threatening epitome pregnancy. And that's what stuck. That happened during COVID. This December, the FDA dropped all the risk evaluation mitigation 
detoxing strategies. They're called REMS. And now a woman can get this pill without ever even confirming she's actually pregnant or not experiencing a life-threatening pregnancy. If that happens, that is not an abortion. So if she has an ectopic pregnancy, she goes to the ER. Because by, by the way, Planned Parenthood's own website says treating ectopic pregnancy is not an abortion. Because once again, the intention is mm-hmm. to save life, not to destroy it. Planned Parenthood's website tells her to go seek emergency care because they don't even treat those. You go to emergency room, you're pregnant, the child is lodged in her fallopian tube, the child must be removed. The intention of the physician is not to destroy. The intention of the physician is to save. If there was technology, and there is not, but if there was technology where you could remove the child from the fallopian tube and then implant the child in the uterine wall, we would advocate for that. We would say, you know, remove the child and mm-hmm. place the child in the uterus to save the right. child. But there isn't technology available. That is not an abortion. Right. And what I'm actually very worried about, I've been expressing this worry, I'm very worried that there is going to be a woman very soon who presents in an emergency with ectopic pregnancy, and there's going to be an activist OBGYN there who's angry at the Supreme Court and who's going to say, oh, I can't treat you because of this law to make an example out of it and she is going to die because there's going to be an activist OB who is going to want to use her life and threaten her life as an example. This is exactly what we've seen and I know you're like this is crazy. Why would you say that? You can look at how Ireland legalized abortion. Ireland there was one woman who passed away tragically because I would argue there was a couple things that luck wise did not go well and there was also mistreatment um, of, of, of her. She was not being paid attention to at the hospital. You know, her symptoms when she was complaining weren't being taken seriously. But they used this woman's death because she wasn't seeking abortion. They used this woman's death to justify abortion and legalize abortion throughout the country of Ireland. And this was just, I think, like four years ago. I remember our students were over there fighting for fighting against it. Mm-hmm. And this is why I'm very, I'm very nervous uh, that there are going to be women who are hurting. I was just listening. I was doing an NPR interview a couple of days ago, and it's OB who came and said the same thing. It's like, oh, it took hours and all of these things. And I was like, what are you talking about? This is standard treatment of care. You treat her. If she has ectopic pregnancy, you must remove the child from her fallopian tube to save her life. There isn't any pro-life law on the books that makes that questionable. Wow. It sounds like the justification for abortion is so often built on lies and propaganda. And so as we wrap things up here, what would you say are some of the top lies and propaganda being pushed at us that we need to be aware of today? Well, I think what you just asked was a great one. The ectopic pregnancy I've seen all over social media. Uh, Her body, your choice is another one. Um, You know, for years they've always told me that Planned Parenthood only only what they do is 3% of, of their, you know, their overall business, uh, yeah, then why are their abortion facilities shutting down? <laughs> I mean, right, there's exactly. there's so much going on right now. Um, it's like so many truth bombs actually being dropped for years, and I don't know if you get into this on show, and I apologize if I open up a can of worms. For years we've been saying there is a problem with some drugs and devices that are being labeled as contraceptives that can end the life of a human being. That it literally says on the back mm. of the Plan B box can end the life um but we're told we're crazy for saying that or uh the question of ivf i've been getting this question all the time you just want to ban ivf i haven't said that you know the pro-life movement is focused on stopping the killing of these children but that that, that does bring up a question is how is ivf committed because 90 percent of the kids who are 
being created in test tubes actually never draw a breath in IVF. Some of them are thrown away. Some of them are donated for research and thrown away. Others are frozen and they don't survive the freezing and thawing process. This is a concern. This is something we should talk about. For years, we have been told in the pro-life movement that we were crazy conspiracy theorists for even saying that human life was being created and destroyed in IVF clinics. Now, before national TV, they're finally admitting it. So I actually think this is a very good time to start having, say, no, this is, let's have this discussion. Let's talk about when human life begins and try to, try to have, try to tell me that human life, I literally had a CNN anchor the other day try to tell me, she was arguing with me that my statistic question, human life begins is false because some scientists had said at viability. I said, no, that's different. Viability is when a child can survive outside of the womb. Human life, when did your life begin? That's a fundamental right. question that is really easily answered by science. That when egg and sperm, two parts unite and make a whole, a living whole individual that's never existed before and never exists again with a de- genetic distinct code, that's when your human life began. And let's have that discussion. Uh, I, I do think dispelling the myths about the abortion, it, you know, how the pro-life movement doesn't do anything to help women. That I, oh my gosh, there's nothing right. that makes me more irate because it is the abortion industry that does nothing. When we are on college campuses, our students for life groups, we have over 1,300 groups. We've served these amazing, incredible wow. leaders. They do awesome stuff. Half of what they do on campus is changing minds of abortion, and the other half is transforming their campuses to be supportive for pregnant and parenting students. They go in front of the student council and lobby for Title IX rights to actually be applied to pregnant women. They're the ones lobbying for lactation rooms uh, or diaper decks on campus. They're the ones lobbying for um, starting a scholarship for pregnant and parenting students. That is never the pro-abortion group. Wow. In 16 years, I've never seen a Planned Parenthood or pro-abortion group on a college campus do anything to help mm-hmm. a woman who chooses life. Yeah. Wow, that is awesome. You guys are doing such amazing work. I know we're just about out of time here, but I really want to hear how do we change the hearts and minds of women regarding their view of abortion? Because that's where it starts, right? Is this desire, this longing for mm-hmm. abortion, feeling that it's necessary. How do we engage in this conversation in a loving passionate but compassionate way and actually change the hearts and minds of women yeah i think that um i think we keep asking these questions i think one it's the john maxwell adage in one of his leadership books years ago it's like the people don't care how much you know until you know how much you care i think one we need to continue to tell people how much we do care uh and how much we do do because i think until you can make that point that we are literally standing with her, like Students for Life is hosting this Standing with Her National Sunday on August 28th. And it's a simulcast for churches and small groups across the country to get your virtual tool belt. Because you, as a Christian, need to be able to say, this is where you can go if you're hurting from a past abortion. This is where you can go for support. This is where you can go if you've taken the first abortion pill and you want to stop the abortion process and save the life of your child. We need to give Christians that virtual tool belt. Because I think until we can make that case to show her how much we really do care, it's going to be a lot harder for her to actually listen to what we have 
have to say. People have to like you before they'll listen yes. to you. So I would encourage folks to go to standingwithhersunday.org, sign up, join. You get like a free kit if you host it for your church or small group. We have Dr. Alvia King, uh, the Church and God in Christ. Uh, the bishop will be there. It's the largest African-American denomination in the country. Super, super pumped about that. I think the second thing you have to do is you have to keep talking about truth. You have to be unafraid to keep talking about this issue. They, Their goal is to bully us into silence, to make us be a fearful uh, and to go away on this issue. We, darkness only thrives in darkness. Soon as light hits that room, yes. darkness has no, ch- has no choice but to flee. And I think we have to be the ones continuing to beat this drum. You know, you know, I was honored to be at the court, honored to be at the court, read the decision before the whole world uh, last Friday. But I don't think... You know, I don't think just simply being there and being the last 16 years of Students for Life in this fight uh, to see Roe reverse, I don't think that was our legacy. I, I certainly don't think it's my legacy. I think our legacy is what comes now in this post-Roe era. What do we do state by state to make abortion unavailable and unthinkable and i think we have to show her how much we care and we have to refuse to be silent on this issue because that is how we got to this point we got to this point because my heroes before i was conceived or even thought of in the 1970s refused to shut up about this issue even when their pastors their family members all told me you know stop talking about this issue right there's a lot of other issues they refuse and that's quite frankly what makes us different from pro-life um, pro-life movements in other countries. I meet with pro-life leaders in other countries frequently, and they always ask, you know, what's different here? And, you know, one, we have the freedom of speech, and we've continued to safeguard that freedom of speech. You have to continue speaking up, because if you don't, they will take away your freedom of speech. You don't have to look very far. Look what they've done yes. in Canada, where they're literally shutting down hospice clinics that are run by the Catholic Church because they won't give out life-ending drugs. Not even to say, well, you can't get those drugs if you go to another clinic. No, you're not even allowed to operate. I mean, it's unbelievable what's happened to Christian brothers and sisters in Canada. So we've had the freedom of speech, and we had those who were, who refused to be silent. And I think we have to constantly talk. And I'm sorry. I know I'm not making anyone the most popular person here by giving you this advice, but you can't, you can't be afraid to talk about abortion and to bring it up. And always, like I said earlier, make the main thing the main thing. What is inside of her? Because if what is inside of her is nothing, if it's a blob of tissue, it doesn't matter. But what is inside Mm -hmm. of her is something unique, is special, a human being that's created an image of God just like you and I. Yeah, we need to do something about that. Yeah. The way you talk about being pro-life, it's just so beautiful, so winsome, so compelling. You can, I can hear it. You're so pro-woman. And I know everyone listening is, is going to be like, I, I need more of Kristen. I need more. I need to grow in how to communicate, how to skillfully share and talk to my pro-choice family and friends. So any, are there any resources you can re- recommend for us to continue growing yeah. and in this? It's funny. I don't think anyone's ever said, I need more Kristen. That's a funny thing. Uh, <laughs> well, my name is also Kristen. So, you know, everyone needs more Kristen <laughs> in their life. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Uh, no, you can say, I have a podcast explicitly pro-life where I try to interview all the different leaders within the pro-life movement, the different n- niches in the movement. And we talk about, you know, not only the news, what's happening, but really how you can get involved. Because I realize not everyone is called to do what I do and go out in front of a campus with protesters and engage and speak. You know, that's, mm-hmm. 
that's a specific niche that God's given me. Uh, but there, there's a place for everyone. So I encourage you to, to subscribe to the podcast. Go to Students Wife's website. You can sign up no matter what your age is. You sign up for our email list. You actually put in your birth date so you get age-appropriate content. Uh, because we have a lot of training resources that even if you are not in high school or even not in a college, uh, you can you can use these resources. My mother, they're all tested by my mother. She loves them. Um, and we so we even have a training portal. I think it's it's called Students for Life hq.com where you sign up for free and like you literally can get like all of our trainings like everything we tell our young leaders across the country how to stand up for life on their campus you can equally apply to your community we have a community campaign called abortion free cities this is why i mentioned earlier how we're actually door knocking in cities with uh students for life alumni young professionals adults and students door knocking making people aware of the violence that's happening inside the abortion facility and the life saving nonviolent work that's happening in the community. We need you to sign up for that. That's just abortionfreecities.org. And like I mentioned, sign up for the Standing With Her Sunday because that's going to be a massive uh, a day where everyone's going to be um, equipped at standingwithhersunday.org. Wow. That's so great. Okay, so your website, is it studentsforlife.org? Yes, ma'am. Okay, awesome. Kristen Hawkins, thank you so much. Thanks for having me. This was great. Keep fighting the good fight. Wow, y'all. I hope you are so inspired and encouraged and just feeling so informed and up to date on just all that's going on and how to think about it, how to think about it biblically, um, how to process everything. So thanks for sticking around to the very end. That was such an amazing conversation. I learned so much during that conversation and just feel like I'm personally so much more equipped and just renewed in my understanding of all that's going on and feel even more passionately pro-life, standing for life, um, fighting for women and babies. And here at Girl Defined, we love women. We are a ministry for women. And so if this conversation can help any woman that you know thrive by learning the truth and understanding the truth and God's amazing plan and design for her, please share this. If you're thinking of a sister, a friend, a cousin, someone from school, someone at work, you know, someone who's maybe on the fence, would you please share this conversation with her? Pass it along, help us spread the word. And then if you are personally so thankful for conversations like this that we have on the Girl Defined show, please leave us a five-star review. I know you can now do that on Spotify, on Apple. Those five-star reviews are, one, really encouraging to us. We see them. We read them. We're so encouraged when we see your encouragement, and it just it reminds us and encourages us to like keep going on, but also it helps other people to find our show. And so the more reviews, the more interaction that we get, then the more the algorithm spreads our show um, and exposes it more and helps other people to find it. And also, you know, when you see a show and you read those reviews, like if you're checking out a new show, you're like, oh, when you see what people have to say about it, it kind of helps you know, like if it's something that you want to listen to or not. So please take like 30 seconds and leave us that five-star review. Um, we would really, really appreciate it. And then if you have questions or comments or you want to chat about this, we're going to do it on on Instagram. So head on over to at Girl Defined on Instagram. If you're not already following us there, um, we'll post this episode there. You'll find it and we'll just have some conversation down below. We'd love to dialogue with you about this. We'd love to continue this conversation. I know it is a massive, heavy, weighty topic and we were only able to 
barely scratched the surface. Like, I get that. I know there's so much more. We'll have to do it again sometime. Talk about this and bring up more questions, answer some of your questions in a future episode. So if you have that, or if there are specific things you want us to address regarding this topic, then you can also do that on Instagram um, on that post, or you can DM us, or you can email us. We love to communicate with you. You can find ways to contact us directly at girldefined.com, our website. And I love you so much. Thanks for sticking around to the end and join us next week for another episode of The Girl Defined Show.